To say that hospitality is important in the Judeo-Christian tradition is an understatement. Our Genesis text this morning finds Abraham, the father of our faith, at 99 years old and recovering from a circumcision when he leapt up and welcomed the strangers who approached him in the desert. Sarah, the mother of our faith, was 90 and still able to throw together bread at a moment's notice for the surprise guests. Walking through the desert, even under the best of circumstances, is arduous. Sarah and Abraham welcomed these strangers because they knew the unforgiving nature of the desert, and they knew what it felt like to be welcomed by strangers, and they knew something about encountering others. They knew that to show hospitality to anyone is to show hospitality to God. And God tends to show up at times that are not in our timelines and not in our comfort zones. Hospitality for the mother and father of our faith and for us is birthed from the understanding of the embedded likeness, love, and grace of God in each human. That each human, as we look upon their face, shows us a unique image of God. For Sarah and Abraham that day, their hospitality was met with promise. They welcomed these strangers who had come for unknown reasons through the desert, because if someone travels through the wilds of the desert, we do not ask questions. We do not decide if they are worthy. We do not check their passports or separate them from their family while we sort it out. We welcome them. We jump up. We rush over. Whoever's good at making bread starts doing that. It's what we do because we are Christians, because we believe that all are made in the image of God, and we know that to encounter the stranger is to greet the face of Christ. We know that to fail to offer hospitality is to reject Jesus. So, they welcomed the sojourners, and the moment that they did, they started on an interesting path. Welcoming them in, they heard something that made Sarah LOL, laugh out loud. Don't you love it how at the end of that, I noticed that a lot of you noticed that at the end of the scripture, God's like, why did Sarah laugh at that? And Sarah's like, I did not laugh. God says, yes, you did. It's safe to laugh. God can handle it. But these strangers reminded Sarah of a long-held promise that she had held in her heart for decades and decades. That they were to be the mother and father of generations. That through their family, the whole earth would be blessed. Between the time they got that promise, sitting there in that desert at 90 and 99, they had gone out in faith, and they'd experienced fear and violence, hospitality and joy, disappointment and heartache. By the time these strangers had come to their door, I think they were pretty sure that that promise of having the generations that numbered the stars was not going to happen. But God speaks to us 
in the most confounding and laughable ways. God's promises reject our own sense of what is possible. Recently, Linny drew my attention to a story that came out of Richard Rohr's Center for Action and Contemplation. Bree Stoner, a woman who had been going through the Center's Living School, which is an opportunity to dive deeply into the grace of God and to practice uh, meditation and deep reading of scripture. It's a beautiful program. She was going through it and she was really frustrated by the fact that her young children seemed to have a radar for when she was attempting to do quiet time. Anyone else have that? The minute you sit down to eat, what, your kids need something. The minute you have any kind of quiet time, they, can, they just know, especially when you're on the phone, especially if it's somebody you need to talk to that's important, right? So she shared her frustration with an instructor. She said, Jim, can we talk about how much harder all of this is when I'm back home? Because I get up sometimes at 5 a.m., desperate to have one prayer sit, and it's like my kids have radar, and inevitably one of them wakes up 10 minutes later. I mean, where's the icon of the mystic with one baby on the hip, a toddler crying at their feet, cooking dinner with one hand, trying to finish work on the laptop with the other? Because that's my real life. Her instructor said, okay, you be you and I'll be God. And since I'm God, I'm watching you get up exhausted every morning and I'm so touched that you want to spend this time with me. Really, I am. It just means the world to me. The thing is, I just can't bear how much I love you. It's just too much. And so at a certain point, I rush into the bodies of your children and wake them up because he paused because I want to know what it feels like to be held by you. Bree reflected, yes, the interruption is the presence of God that I was so desperately trying to access in moments of stillness and silence. With or without the luxury of stillness and silence, God comes to us disguised as our very own lives. In my case, Jim helped me to discover how my path as an exhausted young parent was the monastery of my own transformation. If I learned to let my heart open enough, I just might begin to recognize each cry, each diaper change, every choo-choo playtime request, all of it, as the startling, stunning, diaphanous infusion of infinite love colliding into the small shape of my very finite and ordinary reality. There, at the intersection of everything, God is with us, wanting to be touched, noticed, nurtured, held by us. All we have to do is behold. It's true. God is speaking to us in confounding and laughable ways. And we can laugh at it. It's safe to do. We can say we don't believe it. It doesn't mean it won't come true. God is speaking to us through strangers, through people walking through the desert, through our children breaking into our quiet time, through our intern who has been brought to us, through our neighbors walking their dogs, through the squirrels and birds and sunsets, any way that God can reach us, God is. Everything is a sign. God is with us. God loves us. Will we behold? Will we jump up and welcome the presence and voice of God? Mary and Martha, in our gospel text, 
encountered Christ as a friend and mentor. And I have to say that Martha gets a super bad rap for her distractions, always, right? She's always set up as the fall person because she's the one who wasn't paying attention. She's the one who didn't get it right. But if we all sat at Jesus' feet all the time, nothing would get done. So that's not the point of the scripture. The point of the scripture is to allow God to infuse our ordinary lives. So if she was doing her thing, like getting stuff ready, and was still recognizing God's presence in that, she would not have been distracted, right? Mary was was sitting and listening at Jesus' feet and getting her own behold moment. But she was not doing something wrong because she was busy. She just wasn't paying attention to God's presence in the midst of it. And I bet... Once Jesus said the words that he said to her, she had not a feeling of of shame or frustration, because that's not the kind of thing that Jesus does. That's not how Jesus works. Grace abounds. So I bet she was filled with such joy at being seen, at being recognized, at being precious enough for Jesus to call her out and say, you are worth more than this. You're worth more than a life full of distraction after distraction after distraction. You are worth being full of the presence and grace of God. When Jesus is near, which is always, Jesus is the host. And we get to behold. Here at the table is a beautiful moment where we get to behold. Where Christ is host where we get to receive and remember and stop being distracted and know that God is with us. But there's all kinds of other moments, too. When we're out in the world and we're stopped by the beauty of the sky, or when we see ways that we can partner with God in the world, or when our kids interrupt our one quiet moment, behold, God is with us. And that beholding of the truth of God's great love for us wherever we are and our inheritance in the kingdom of getting to be filled with that, it creates action. It makes us laugh. It scares us a little. Okay, it scares us a lot sometimes. It emboldens a new trajectory for us. Last Tuesday, eight of you joined me and Chris Hoke and a couple other guests to begin our, to formally begin our One Parish, One Prisoner, which we're calling OPOP, journey with our assigned partner, Wally. I am so excited about this process. It's, our team is fantastic. Wally is so open-hearted and hopeful and um, really excited about about this opportunity that he has to be with Burlington Lutheran Church in the process of him being released from prison. When we gathered, Chris told us the story again of how Opop was birthed, but he spoke to something that I had never heard before. I did not know that underground ministries had never planned on doing Opop for a while. In fact, they had put their full force behind another project They were working on having a halfway house 
for people that were getting out of prison at a local church in Skagit Valley, and they were putting all of their resources into that project and working on it, moving forward with it. Meanwhile, Chris was preaching in different churches and sharing stories of hope and new life, as he does. And in one church at Bayview United Methodist, he shared his observation about the number of churches mirroring the number of, of prisoners, right, that we've talked about before in this process of, of sponsoring Wally as he's getting released. He just shared that in his sermon. He says, off the cuff, he said, he just mentioned to the church that number. And he said, what would happen if each church adopted someone that they knew that was incarcerated? It was a rhetorical question, something that preachers do sometimes. Not a proposal, not a formal invitation, not a plan. But apparently the Holy Spirit did have a plan. Because that very next week, Sam, who had come with Chris when he preached here a couple of months ago, and was incarcerated at the time, started to get letters from people at the church at United Methodist in Bayview, Washington. He started getting letters from strangers writing to him about their pies that they were making and the walks with their dogs and their prayers that they had for him. Words of hope. He was surprised and confused. It was laughable and confounding. God showed up in the form of these strangers, these strange letters. The halfway house for folk coming out of prison that Underground Ministries had been putting all their efforts into ran into roadblocks, and and it was not allowed to continue. But somehow, God had already provided a way forward for OPOP. OPOP was God's idea, and Chris and Underground Ministries and, and we are able to see that because we're able to behold the Spirit at work, motivating us into action. We get to show hospitality to the Spirit of God as she moves us. God rarely shows up in our timetables and in our comfort zones. But God is showing up. Through the desert, in our children's sticky hands as they crawl into our laps, in the stranger that shows us a beautiful image of God, in the sunrise, everywhere. Behold, welcome it with open arms. Amen. Let's stand together and sing for all the faithful women. It's